Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans. Walters would like to thank you in advance for masking up starting Saturday as D.C. COVID restrictions have been put back in place, requiring everyone dining indoors to wear a mask. While this isn't what Walters was hoping for, Walters will comply with D.C. regulations. Walters would also like to thank Max Scherzer for the last seven years. It's been a real pleasure watching greatness every five days. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set of the pitch. Fastball. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. He struck him out and a curly W is in the books. It's the first Major League save for Kyle Finnegan, and it could be the last victory in a Nationals uniform for Max Scherzer, his 92nd in a Nationals uniform of his 183 career wins. And for Max Scherzer, it'll be his eighth win of this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm a human. I get it. You know, I understand what's going on. Um, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, the game of baseball can throw, you know, so many curveballs at you. Like, I've never been in a situation in my career, you know, going through you know, all the hoopla right now. But today was just a cha- chance to, you know, get challenged and, go ha- and have to block all that out and have to go out there and just compete. And welcome to an episode unlike any other in the history of this podcast. It's great to have you with us, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it has been a season that has been like no other in Nationals history. This month of July has been a month like no other in Nationals history. And Thursday, July 29th, 2021, ends up being a day like no other in Nationals history. A day that culminates with the Nationals reportedly agreeing on a blockbuster trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Max Scherzer is being dealt. Nobody's surprised by that. But Trey Turner is being dealt as well. The Nationals trade Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers, get back a horde of prospects, including the Dodgers' top two prospects. There is a lot to get into. There's a lot to unpack with this. There's a lot to process in terms of why this happened, what this means for the future. Mark, you've been covering the team since it came to D.C. Safe to say this is the biggest trade in Nationals history? Uh, yeah, I think that one's safe to say, Al. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else would even come close to qualifying. I mean, you know, there were bizarre, like nine player trades. Remember the Austin Kearns Felipe Lopez trade during the All Star break? There was nine players in total involved in that, but obviously none of them of this kind of caliber and notoriety or that meant as much to the franchise. When they traded for Alfonso Soriano many years ago for Brad Wilkerson and Termel Sledge, I mean, that felt like a really big deal. And of course it was. But again, we're at a very different stage for this franchise right now. You're talking about 
two of the heroes of the franchise's first world championship team. You're talking about the first Hall of Famer in Nationals history and another guy who up until, I mean, really just in the last day or two, I think a lot of people thought could be a national for a long time and maybe produce a Hall of Fame career himself. Who knows here? So for that to all come together, I'm just thinking about the last week. And from the day that we talked to Mike Rizzo, which was last, I don't even remember anymore, Tuesday, Wednesday. And when he talked about those dual paths, they might go down. Go by a, a dual path, you know, try and uh, try and maximize our place in the standings, wherever that is, wh- you know, whenever we make that decision. And it was clear in his mind that he was acknowledging that a sell might be necessary, but he really didn't think that that's where they were going. And I didn't really think that's where they were going. And then every single thing that has happened since then, there's about 10 things that have happened since then, all led up to this moment where they got to a point that Rizzo said, we need to sell and we need to sell big. And I know this is a difficult day for a lot of fans and the prospect of what's coming up now the rest of this year and next year is really hard for a lot of people to accept. But in my mind, if you're going to do this, this is the way you have to do it. You got to be all in on it. You have to be committed to it. We don't know if it's going to work. It's going to be several years till we know if it worked. But to me, I think this was the way to go. If you didn't go this way, you got to go completely in the other direction. And as we've talked about the last few days, I don't see how you can have success going in the other direction right now. So I want to commend the Nats. I think what happened on Thursday night is a very good thing. It's a painful thing. It's not something that necessarily puts a smile on your face in the moment. But this to me is the kind of bold, forward thinking, necessary trade that the Nationals needed to make. One of the first conversations we had on this podcast was me talking with you about the 2020 season. And I I really felt like there was a whistling past the graveyard perspective with that season where it was a bad season, but I heard a lot of excuse making for that season. It was kind of like, well, you know, shortened season, COVID-19 pandemic, you know, what did it really mean? It turns out that that season was meaningful. And that season was a tell that things weren't right with this team, weren't well with this franchise. And it's all sort of unraveled here over this last month. And rather than bury their heads in the sand, the Nationals, to their credit, have said, you know what? There is a problem here. You know, it's interesting to me. The reporting over the last few days has been nothing but the Nationals are going to sell. It's pretty obvious now. Mike Rizzo and maybe others made up their minds to sell days ago. This was not some spur of the moment thing. This was not something that just happened over the last, you know, 24, 48 hours. This was no. They decided basically during that Orioles series, certainly by the end of that Orioles series, that selling was the way to go, and the Nationals have not half-assed it here. The Nationals have gone into this thing headfirst, okay? They have dived into the deep end of the pool here in trading not just Scherzer, but Trey Turner. I think this says a lot. You know, you do the compare and contrast with this versus what happened three years ago when the Nationals wouldn't even trade Bryce Harper in in a walk year. And yes, the franchise was in a different place at that time, but I think this shows you this time there is a real recognition of, no, we have to do something. The farm system is barren. The farm system is nowhere near where it needs to be. And so if it means trading away a guy in Trey Turner who we like to help bring in a much needed infusion of talent to the minors, we're going to do that. And they have done that. And I think the Nationals are to be applauded for this. Now, I think there are conversations to be had about, well, why is the farm system such a mess? No doubt. But in the moment, this to me is a good, shrewd baseball move. You get back two of the top 50 prospects in the sport per MLB pipeline. The Nationals farm system instantly goes from being maybe the worst in the sport to now perhaps being middle of the pack, especially with some other guys who are going to be coming on board over the next, what, 24 hours or so. So I think if you're a Nats fan, feel the pain. Like, no, this is not a day to celebrate, definitely. But 
there's a bigger picture here that needs to be recognized. And in the moment, it may not feel good. But I think in the long run, we're going to look back on this as something that needed to be done and actually ended up being for the best. If they hit with these prospects are getting in return. Let's acknowledge that. We don't know. It's impossible to know how these players are going to turn out. And the way you do it is you get as many of them as you can, as highly rated as you can, and you know they're not all going to pan out, but you hope that enough of them do and they start to build the foundation for your next winning team. Now, let me go back a, a few things that you said. I agree with you that now, as we sit here at the end of July in 2021, you can look and say that 2020 was a sign of what was to come. That said, I do not fault the Nats for going into 2021 and doing what they did and trying to give it one more go at it. I don't think that was a mistake. Given what the roster was, given the fact they went into this season believing, you can say it was false hope, but believing that Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin could lead the rotation and that you still had some star players and Trey Turner and Juan Soto to lead the lineup and a couple additions in Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber and a bullpen that on paper at least looked better to start a year than any we'd seen in a little while. I don't think it was wrong of them to give this one more go. But I think, like you said, in the last several days, it became clear that it wasn't happening, not just this year, but next year as well. I talked about this the other night. To me, the two big developments here, it's the Orioles series. It's really, it's the four straight losses to the Marlins and the Orioles. And even you want to add the first loss to the Phillies, where you blow three games in the ninth inning by Brad Hand. It starts with that. And then the other key thing is the Strasburg news. When it became obvious that Steven Strasburg was hurt again or that he had not recovered enough, when they sent him to the specialist, when they diagnosed him with thoracic outlet syndrome and he had surgery, and by the way, he did just have surgery the other day, top of everything else. And as we talked about what that means for next year and beyond, and you just don't know, you put all that together. And if you're Mike Rizzo, you could not objectively look at this and say, yeah, this is a team that's still position to win this year. And in my opinion, not even in position to win next year. And so you had to do what you had to do. And so he, he started that process with these trades. There will be more before the deadline. And now you start to see what you have and you start trying to build for not 2022, but for 2023, 24 and beyond. Yeah. I mean, I would argue the Strasbourg news was like the cherry on top of the whipped cream of the Sunday. I, I think even without the Strasbourg news, like, like let's say Strasbourg is tracking toward coming back in a few weeks. I still think you could argue this was the, the way to go. They really needed to do something about this farm system. And even Strasbourg coming back this year, you wouldn't have known what he would have been. He could have gone back on the aisle again. You know, I, th I think that definitely helped him push him over the edge. But I, I think you could argue even if he wasn't undergoing surgery to correct neurogenic TOS, that maybe selling still would have been the right way to go. I, I would say this about the offseason, too. So, yes, I, I agree. Going for it this year was fine, but they should have done more this past offseason. See, that, that to me was a problem with what they did last offseason. It was this wishy-washy approach of, you know, they did these marginal things of trade for Josh Bell, sign Kyle Schwarber, sign Brad Hand, and that was supposed to be enough, and it wasn't. They went into this season with a flawed roster. They're an older team. They're a team that lacks positional flexibility. And it was like, if you're really going to go for it this year, they should have done something like sign Trevor Bauer, okay? Like, now maybe that doesn't look so great. But, like, in the moment, that's the kind of thing they should have done. Like, if you're going to swing big, swing big, they didn't do that. They tried to sort of say, well, you know, if we, if we add something here and something there. And I don't know if Rizzo didn't have the budget to do more or if he didn't think he needed to do more. But it's like, if you're in, you're in. They had one foot in, one foot out, I felt like, this offseason. And I think part of this season has been paying a price for that.
Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Well, after that last half inning, handshakes, a couple of hugs in the Nationals' dugout. So it looks like Max Scherzer is done for the day at 88 pitches, 56 strikes over his six innings in this game. We see this trade reportedly go down on Thursday night. 
The four prospects, there are two significant prospects, and then there are two lesser prospects. The four big prospects in this trade that the Nationals are getting, the, the two that you want to be aware of are the catcher, Cabert Ruiz. He was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the Dodgers' number one prospect and the number 41 overall prospect in baseball. And this pitcher, Josiah Gray, ranked by MLB Pipeline as the Dodgers' number two prospect and the number 42 overall prospect in baseball. Just to put this in perspective, the Nationals only have had one top 100 prospect in these recent top 100 rankings. That's been Cade Cavalli. So you instantly now have three, which is a big deal. The other two prospects, a pitcher, Gerardo Carrillo, he was ranked by Pipeline as the Dodgers' number 17 prospect. And then there is, I guess, this throw-in prospect, outfielder Donovan Casey, not even ranked among the Dodgers' top 30 prospects. But Ruiz, a catcher, Gray, a pitcher, exciting to think about what they could be. No guarantee regarding what they will be. But instantly, you know, you're cooking with some gas again in the Nationals minor league system. Yeah, and a couple key points here. Ruiz and Gray, they both have minimal big league experience. Ruiz made his debut last year, played a little bit this year. Gray just made his major league debut about a week ago. So these are not low-end prospects. They're not elite prospects who are still at single A and are a couple, several years away. These guys are big league ready. If not immediately, then pretty soon. We're going to see both these guys in D.C. before the season's over, if not right away. So I think that's important as part of it. Ruiz, a catcher. We've talked about this, how this organization has just never been able to develop its own catcher from within and have any success there and how they've always had to go outside and look at free agents and veterans. And it's worked. They've had some very good catchers over time. And Jan Gomes is having a great year for them. But Jan Gomes isn't the future. And as nice as Trace Barrera has looked here lately, do we really think he is the long-term starting catcher for this team? I don't know. But you kind of feel like if he was that highly touted, you know, would have happened by now or he would have, you know, pushed for more playing time before now. So here's a switch hitting catcher, Ruiz, 23 years old, who has the potential now to be their catcher for a long time. It reminds me of when they got Wilson Ramos in the Matt Caps trade many years ago. So again, we'll see how that works. Gray, probably not the ace of the staff, but somebody who has the potential to be near the top of the rotation. And you combine him and Cavalli with now whatever you already have coming back, there's going to be money that they are going to have to spend eventually here on free agents, and they can go that route as well. One of the reactions I heard from fans wasn't even necessarily they were that upset at trading both Scherzer and Turner, but being disappointed in what they got in return, thinking they'd get more than this. First of all, we don't really know these players, so it's hard to know you know how good this is or not. But I would also say, and I, I was making this point all year long when it came to the Max Scherzer trade, how much do you really get for a rental player these days? I don't think teams give up what they used to for him. He's a rental player. Trey Turner is a one plus player. He's got two months this year and then one year next season before he can become a free agent. And by the way, he's currently on the COVID-19 IL and is going to have to complete his quarantine before he can even join the Dodgers. Now, I don't know if that impacted at all what they got for him or what they were able to ask for him, but you know, it couldn't have helped. So in today's world, I don't know that you can get a lot more than this, even for two star level players of Scherzer and Turner, because you're trading one rental player and one guy who has one-plus years under contract. Yeah, you get two top 50 prospects. To me, that's a win. Like, that's what you want. Like, do they pan out? We'll see. But to your point, the days of trading a rental in a role as Chapman and getting back Labor Torres, that's not happening anymore. That hasn't happened in a while. Like, you go back and you look at 
what some of the more significant deadline deals have brought back. Like, go back and look at what the Orioles got from Manny Machado, okay? Very underwhelming, okay? Very underwhelming. So the price of trading for rentals is not what it used to be. So to get back to top 50 prospects and then two other guys, you know, this, this guy Carrillo might be something, you never know. I think there's something to that. I think also, you know, the Dodgers farm system has been excellent for years. So I think there is something to, hey, if you're getting a prospect from the Dodgers, that's a little different than getting a prospect from another organization that maybe hasn't had as much success. And by the way, the Dodgers are instructive, right? The Dodgers every year are in the NLCS at the very least. And yet, huh, they still have this great farm system. You know, it's not all about top five and top 10 picks. So yeah, I mean, to go back to something I referenced early in the podcast, the Nationals are in this position because their farm system stinks. And that's inexcusable. And that's something that they really have to look at. Where did we go wrong in drafting and player development? You know, another excuse I've heard, and this has got to stop, People keep saying, well, the reason the Nats farm system is so bad because they've made these trades while contending. Uh, Yes and no. There's a little bit of that, but I think that's way overrated. People will bring up like the Adam Eaton trade. They'll bring up uh, the Ryan Madsen, Sean Doolittle trade. Those trades were years ago, okay? The Eaton trade was December 2016, okay? That's almost five years ago now. The, The Nats have had plenty of time to replenish whatever prospects they gave up to get those guys. Now, I know they've made some trades for relievers and things like that, but by and large, you look at these in season trades that Rizzo makes, he really doesn't give up that much. You look at something like the Josh Bell trade of this past offseason, Rizzo didn't really give up that much. The farm system is in the state it's in because the first round picks have been abysmal and because for whatever reason, the development of some guys just hasn't gone particularly well. So that's got to change. And that's got to get their arms around that. Got to be better with their picks. Got to be better with their player development. The Dodgers are kind of like a gold standard here where you're like, they're never picking in the top 10. And yet they seem to always have guys coming up in the minors who look great. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. I also want to address this because I'm sure you've gotten this too, like a lot of complaining about, well, Max is one thing, but Trey's another, right? And here we go. The cheap Nats, they won't re-sign their own guys, right? Let Harper go. Let Rendon go. Now I've traded away Trey Turner. Look, I think it's debatable with Trey Turner. Trey Turner is a very good player. Nobody has anything bad to say about Trey Turner. But next season is his age 29 season. So you would have been paying him big money, maybe 200 plus million dollars, maybe 300 plus million dollars as he's going into his 30s. I don't think it's nuts to say, let someone else pay him that kind of money and get back some assets for him. I think the idea of having a guy in his 20s and his arbitration years and then letting someone overpay that guy in the hundreds of millions of dollars in his 30s, I think there is a sound logic behind that. Now, the Nationals can afford to pay guys big contracts. We know that. But given the history of big contracts in general, and now looking at the more recent history of big contracts with this team, right, with Strasburg and Corbin, I don't blame the Nats for maybe not being in love with the notion of paying Trey Turner whatever it takes to keep him. And given his success over the last few years, I'm thinking Trey Turner's probably thinking Lindor money. And if he's thinking that, that's $300 plus million. And personally, I don't know that I want to pay anybody that kind of money. So if the Nats decided they didn't want to pay Trey what it was going to take to sign Trey, I don't kill the Nationals for that. I, I think that it's more than acceptable to end up trading him, get something back for him. And again, this was smart. You trade him well before he hits free agency. Like if you're going to deal him, now or this offseason was the time to deal them, and the Nats have done that. Yeah, let's be clear that when it comes to the idea of retaining Trey and trying to sign him to a long-term deal, this isn't necessarily a money decision. This isn't necessarily a, well, we're just not going to pay him like we weren't willing to pay Anthony Rendon or we weren't willing to pay Bryce Harper. This is kind of a baseball decision more than that. I think this is a calculated decision to say, we love the guy as a player, but we don't think he's actually worth what he's going to get. I think the Nationals believe that Anthony Rendon is worth $245 million. 
think they probably believe that Bryce Harper, well, we know they believe Bryce Harper was worth $300 because that's what they offered him before at the end of that season. And ultimately, I think those were decisions that they felt they had to make because they thought if they locked those guys up, then they wouldn't be able to make other moves, et cetera, et cetera. Well, or because those guys just didn't want to stay, ultimately. I did believe that Trey Turner would want to stay in D.C. long term. So I think one of the reasons that fans are as upset in some cases about losing Turner here is because of that history. And in their minds, they're saying this is a team that never is able to re-sign its own stars outside of Strasburg. And as we've seen, that contract is not looking good right now outside of Ryan Zimmerman, who, you know, it's debatable whether his extension was worth it or not as well. They haven't shown an ability to retain their own players. And so every time one of these guys ends up going, either via free agency or now via trade, I think there's a certain segment of fans that says, oh, see, the learners are just never willing to do this. Well, there are baseball reasons for it as well. Now, here's the next step to it all. They got to go all in and try to sign Juan Soto. And I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to happen. He's represented by Scott Boris, and Scott Boris almost always takes his clients all the way to free agency. But he is the guy that, to me, and I think Mike Rizzo and I think ownership would feel the same way, he is the one that is worth all the money because he's going to be a star player for a long time. His skills are not going to deteriorate into his 30s the way that maybe Trey Turner's might. And so to me, that's the move now. And I don't know when it happens. I don't know if there's any chance of it happening before become a free agent. He can't even become a free agent until after 2024. But I think these moves now, what they're doing is they're attempting now to build the next generation that wins here and to do it before Soto becomes a free agent so that he may be a part of another winning team and ultimately may want to stay here to sustain that. Yeah, I mean, they should have been trying already to sign Soto. Maybe they have been. I have my doubts about whether he'll want to do it, but you 100% should try. No question. You should make him a Fernando Tatis Jr. offer and overwhelm him and see if that does the trick. And, you know, I wouldn't play these reindeer games with the deferred money. I would come correct and come hard and see if you can make that deal happen. The philosophy with big money contracts should be this. Only pay the Sotos the 300 plus million dollar deals. Like only pay the guys in their early 20s You do those long-term deals, you buy out arbitration years, you maybe buy out some free agency years. Those are the guys who it makes sense to give the huge money to because those guys are still in their early 20s. The contracts that just don't work are when you pay guys in their 30s for what they did in their 20s. So that's why if the Nats decided not to pay Trey Turner, I don't kill them for that. You know, I wonder about Anthony Rendon. I know everyone now is like, well, they should have paid Rendon and not Strasburg. I don't know that they should have paid either guy. By the way, look up Rendon's stats for this year, okay? They're not that good. And he's been on the injured list a bunch of times. You know, that gets kind of forgotten about Rendon. He was banged up constantly, and it always felt like with him, he would be hurt, and he would miss more time than he was supposed to miss. You know, he'd have an oblique or a knee or something like that, and he'd be out, you know, six weeks when you thought it was going to be like two weeks. And and I'm not trying to say he's soft or anything, but he he didn't seem to be the world's fastest healer. So I don't know how Rendon's going to age necessarily. Great player, of course, but there's an argument to be made. I would make it. You should never pay people $300 million, $250 million. The only guys you should do that for are the Tatises and the Sotos, guys in their early 20s. So for sure, the Nationals should try to lock up Soto if he's open to it, which, uh, you know, I do think is debatable. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer 
at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. I got nothing. I don't know. How's this go? This is new to me. I've only been trading in the offseason. I've never, never had to deal with this d- during the season. So for me, just put the blinders up, go out there, pitch, compete, and have fun with your teammates. That's all I can do. One more thing on Scherzer. Why did he pitch on Thursday afternoon? I was stunned by this. Now, he pitched well, and he obviously stayed healthy in the outing, so that was good. One run in six innings, five strikeouts in this 3-1 seven-inning win at Philadelphia in game one of a doubleheader split on Thursday afternoon. But that just seemed like such an unnecessary risk. What if, you know, the triceps acts up? What if some other nagging ailment pops up? What if he takes a comebacker off his leg or his shoulder or his face or something like that? What was the thinking behind Max making that start? You know, I, I get that. But, you know, at some point you have to say, hey, he's a big league pitcher and he needs to pitch. Because remember, he had missed his last turn with the triceps issue. I think there were a couple things at play here. One was probably on Mike Rizzo's part and even Max's part a desire to go out there and just show, as it turned out, the Dodgers, but also the Padres and anybody else who was interested in him, that he was, in fact, healthy. And maybe that, in some way, helped increase what the offer was to him. Again, I don't know that for sure. But I think that was maybe part of it. And I think, on top of that, I think Max himself just wanted to pitch. He likes his routine. He didn't know where his next start would be or when. And he felt he was healthy. He had been building up to pitch for this. Now, you notice they did hold him back. Six innings, 88 pitches, I believe, 88 pitches, a game they led 3-1 going to the seventh and final inning. They very easily could have let him finish that. And I think that was a calculated move not to do that. And he was on board with that. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I was surprised. I thought once we got to this point, everything that had transpired the last few days, I figured, nah, they're not going to want him to pitch or any team that might acquire him isn't going to want him to pitch yet. But he wanted to. And I think ultimately that may have helped alleviate any doubts there may have still been out there about it. And, you know, in the end, I don't think it was a problem. And I think Max, yes, something weird can always happen. But I think he was confident that he was healthy and that he wasn't putting himself at any more risk than he normally would when he takes the mound. Well, I'm glad it worked. I just thought it was an unnecessary chance to take. I do wonder, though, because look, the Nets aren't stupid. They know there's a risk in throwing them out there if maybe there was a bidding war going on. You know, Dodgers, Padres, Giants. We saw those three teams popping up. There was an item from Ken Rosenthal on Thursday evening suggesting that the Padres were about to trade for Max Scherzer. You know, maybe Rizzo was like, you know what, this risk is worth taking because if Max looks good, that could up the ante even more. And I can get back more than I was set to get back at that time in terms of this Max Scherzer trade. So maybe it was kind of a calculated gamble that uh, Rizzo took in starting Max on Thursday. Yeah, no, there could be some of that. And, you know, Ken Rosenthal is the best reporter in the business. And I, there's nobody I have more respect for than him. And when he 
tweets something you have every reason to believe it's 100% accurate. And his batting average is higher on this stuff than anybody else in the business. But when you saw that there weren't other confirmations of his initial report to the Padres, and what I was hearing myself was that, yeah, they've talked to the Padres, they have an offer from them, but they haven't actually agreed to anything yet. And they may still be waiting to hear from some other teams. It occurred to me that somebody, and I don't know who, but somebody may have been trying to help move that process along and maybe convince the Dodgers to go all in. And obviously they did go all in in the end. And um, I mean, there's a whole other story to all this is Dodgers Padres <laughs> is becoming a tremendous thing. And who knows what the Padres are going to do as a reaction to this now before the deadline on Friday. The West race is fascinating because one of those three teams is going to win the division and get to advance all the way to a best of five LDS. And the other two are going to have to play each other in a one game wild card for the right to face the other team in the best of five. And meanwhile, you're going to have whoever wins the East and then whoever wins the Central, probably the Brewers, get to just play each other and one of them automatically goes to the LCS. This is a fascinating race to me now, just as a baseball observer. And Max Scherzer and Trey Turner are going to be right in the thick of it. Yeah, they could swing the balance. No question. The National League West is what the National League East was supposed to be and uh, is anything but so far this year. So Max Scherzer is gone. Trey Turner is gone. The fire sale is underway and more is happening. We are taping this podcast late on Thursday night. As we are taping this, news is breaking that Kyle Schwarber is on the verge of being dealt to the Boston Red Sox. So we'll see what the compensation ends up being for that. It's interesting, you know, Trey Turner's on the COVID-19 IL. He gets dealt. Kyle Schwarber's been on the 10-day IL for a while. He's getting dealt. So apparently those placements haven't hindered things too much, although you wonder you know, to what extent maybe the compensation was lessened. Well, I guess we'll never know the answer on that. Also on Thursday, the Nats traded Brad Hand uh, in news that broke during game one of that doubleheader split at Philadelphia. The Nats dealt Hand to the Toronto Blue Jays for catcher Riley Adams, who is the was the number 17 prospect in the Blue Jays farm system per MLB pipeline. Uh, Adams is in his age 25 season, was taken by Toronto in the third round of the 2017 MLB draft. You know, we don't know a lot about these prospects. We're not going to pretend like we do, but something is better than nothing. And so you deal hand, you get back a something, and maybe he becomes more than just a little bit of a something. I would anticipate Daniel Hudson gets traded. I would certainly hope that Jan Gomes gets traded. Josh Harrison has been on fire lately. I would think that that uh, helps his value perhaps a bit, and maybe you get something back for him. There's no reason not to trade all these guys on expiring contracts at this point. In for a dime, in for a dollar. All these guys should be shipped for whatever you can get back for them prior to 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Yeah, they're all in now on this, uh, and that's the way you have to do it. Whatever direction you go, be committed to it. And I agree, all of those guys who are in the final year before becoming free agents, you have to take whatever the best offer you can get for them is. And I think they'll get something decent for them all. But, you know, again, let's remember, like we were talking before, that the rental players, you still only get so much for them. And I think that's why adding Turner to the mix. Now, I even I think I remember I mentioned Turner a while back as we were discussing how this could all play out, that if you're really going to go all in on this and you really want to get something big in return, you're going to have to look at Trey Turner because he's the one who's going to bring you the most. The rental players will bring you something, but the guys who are signed for more than this year are going to bring you more and Trey Turner is at the top of that list. And so when the dust all settles from this, we'll see what they've got. But I'd be willing to bet that Baseball America and MLB Pipeline and Fangraph and everybody who does prospect rankings, that the new Nationals top 10 is going to have 
a bunch of guys on there who were not on there at the beginning of this week. This is going to reshape their farm system. Oh, yeah. I mean, will, will it work? I don't know. Again, you get quality from quantity is the way it was once described to me. You get as many as you can and hope that a few of them turn out to be something big. They're not all going to hit, of course not, but this is the way you have to do it when you're in a position that they're in. And to go back to the earlier point about giving the big contracts, the big money contracts to those guys, yeah, you can spend and do that and sign multiple of those guys, but the only way to sustain success, the only way to do what the Dodgers have done is to have a pipeline of young and cheap players who continually are coming up helping support the whole cause. You can't do it only with big name signings and then adding a bunch of veteran free agents. They did it in 2019 with a team that was half homegrown and half big name free agents. And now over time, they're realizing they don't have any more to call up. So they had to do this for the long-term viability of the franchise. Yeah, the backbone is the farm system and you supplement with free agency. And that that's the way you have to do it. And they've not been in a position to do that for a while. Hopefully that's changing. And when it comes to rebuilding the farm system, you have to do it ultimately with better drafting and developing. Like these trades are nice, but these trades on their own aren't going to be enough. Like you have to hit on your first round picks. You got to stop missing on first round picks. And you got to start finding some diamonds in the rough. So hopefully that starts to happen. In addition to doing things like, you know, cultivating the Latin American market. You know, it's interesting that the Nats haven't done much in the Asian market. I I don't know if there's a reason for that or not, but, you know, that's a way you can rebuild things as well. So there are multiple avenues by which you can get player development back into a good place, but they've got to get player development back into a good place. And to their credit, they're recognizing this. They're not denying this. And uh, they went forward and made the bold move on Thursday night. It's interesting to me, too. Obviously, Mike Rizzo doesn't do this without the approval of ownership. Didn't get the approval three years ago. Got the approval now. Seems to me, if the Nats don't win the World Series in 2019, I don't know if you get that approval, right? I mean, that was a, that was a thing forever. You got to deliver on all these playoff appearances. You want to get Ted Lerner a championship, you know, before it's too late. The Nats got that championship. Do you think that that made things easier for Mike to get the green light to initiate this fire sale here? Yeah, I do. I think that changed everything for the franchise. And I think a lot of decisions that have been made since then have been different because of it. They're no longer chasing the great white whale that they were chasing for so long. They got it. They got their title. And that does allow you, for better or worse, to make decisions after that. You don't feel that same urgency. You're maybe not as nervous about letting go of big name players who mean a lot to the franchise. No matter what happens now, the Lerner family, Mike Rizzo, can say, hey, We had a great run of eight straight winning seasons, five playoff appearances, and we went all the way and we won our title and that pennant's going to fly up there forever. Now trust us while we start over and try to get the next one of those. If they had not won it in 19, I do think it changes and now they're still in that constantly chasing it and probably trying to keep this group together a little bit longer and seeing if they can get over the, the hump and get that title with this group intact. Once they had it, yeah, everyone always wants to win two. But you also know if it doesn't happen, it's not as tough to break it up after that. Yeah, a very similar feeling as a Capitals fan. They got that cup, and that makes things a lot more palatable in terms of things moving forward. All right, so there were two Nationals games on Thursday. I don't know how much people listening care about these games. And actually, and I was thinking about this, so in 2017, when the Nats acquired Brandon Kinsler from the Twins, Minnesota ended up making the playoffs that year. Just because you sell, if you're in a bad division, that doesn't mean that you can't actually still make a run of things. And with this National League East, who knows? This national season has made no sense. Like, maybe the Nats somehow catch fire here and actually make things semi-interesting. 
down the stretch. But a doubleheader split at Philadelphia on Thursday in the midst of, oh, by the way, another major COVID-19 outbreak for the Nationals. A number of roster moves are made going into game one. And uh, among the moves was something good. Jan Gomes was reinstated from the 10-day injured list. Tanner Rainey was reinstated from the 10-day IL, although he may be wishing he wasn't given what happened in game two. But the Nats also put four players on the COVID-19 IL. Trey Turner, uh, that doesn't matter anymore. But Daniel Hudson, Austin Voth, and Alex Avila. Also, the Nationals coaching staff for this doubleheader was a mess. Davey Martinez, Mark, was without five members of his coaching staff. Schwarber ended up essentially serving as the bench coach. That was something else. That was, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that. And, you know, yes, it was the players they lost were significant, although maybe not as bad as you thought it might have been. But to have to essentially overhaul your entire coaching staff on the fly like that. And then, you know, they won the first game and they were in position and should have won the second game. They did a nice job, all things considered. You know who was the bench coach unofficially for those games was Kyle Schwarber. He took the lineup card out there. He was right there. Every time they showed Davey on the broadcast, Schwarber was right there next to him, giving him advice. I think you get to a certain point that if you're all them, you just have to laugh this all off and say, hey, let's just have fun with this now. You know, what are you going to do? And they were on the verge of a doubleheader sweep and sweeping the Phillies. And I got to say, you, you mentioned like, the crazy notion that maybe they would still somehow end up challenging this year, even despite the sell. There's a point there that I'm thinking they're going to sweep this and they're going to be down to six and a half games back of the Mets who lost on Thursday. And if not for the three Brad Hand blown save slash losses in the last week, they could have been three and a half back. We talk about they just made the decision the last few days to do this. I think it's legitimate. You flip a couple of those games and they're right in the thick of this thing, and I think they take a totally different approach to the rest of this season. Now, that may have been the wrong decision, but in a way, those blown saves maybe helped shape this for them and for them to decide, no, you know what, let's not kid ourselves, we're not going to win this year. But I don't know how many wins it's going to take to win the East. It may not be that many. The Mets still have two weeks of games against nothing but NL West contenders. So I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if the Mets are going to win the division, who is, but for the Nats, Based on what we saw at the end of the second game of the doubleheader and what their options are late in games, it's going to be a real challenge for them to win a lot of close games the rest of the way. That second game was a disaster. An 11-8, 8-inning loss. The Nats blow a 7-0 third-inning lead. Wander Suero, Tanner Rainey, and Sam Clay combine to allow seven runs in two into third innings. Clay gives up a one-out walk-off grand slam to Brad Miller on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the eighth inning. The 1-2 pitch. Swing a long drive right field. Walk-off grand slam. And the bullpen meltdown is complete. The grand slam coming one batter after Clay issued a one-out six-pitch walk of a pinch-hitting Aaron Nola. Yes, the Philly starting pitcher who was pinch-hitting. Who does he think he is? John Lester? But Clay ends up walking Nola, then giving up the granny to Miller. And also in this game, and this gets completely buried off the events of Thursday, but Patrick Corbin was wretched again. Four runs in five innings. At one point, he gave up three home runs over the course of four batters. You know, we talk about Strasburg and the injuries and COVID-19 and all these things. How about Patrick Corbin and his 578 ERA over 20 starts this season? How about if that was half of what it is? You know, in the threes, let's say. You know, how much different might this season be? But anyway, the Nationals split that doubleheader. And I think to your point about the hand games, the Nats are better off with that. You know, at least like the truth has been revealed Losing those Brad Hand games, getting swept at the Orioles may prove to be a blessing in disguise and that it forced something 
that needed to be done. So maybe at the end of the day, the Nats owe the Orioles a thank you. Maybe the learners need to write a thank you letter to the Angelos family. We'll see if uh, that ends up happening. Let me make one other point here about that the second game of the doubleheader. Okay. If you hadn't watched the Nationals all year and you're wondering why did they just sell Scherzer and Turner and Schwarber and Hand, like what are they doing? That game told you everything you need to know. That was the season in there in a nutshell for a variety of reasons. First up, like you said, Patrick Corbin, not coming close to living up to what he's supposed to be. He's given a seven run lead and he only completes five innings and it gives four runs back. If he couldn't go six at least and keep a Phillies team that looked like a mess during that game and he couldn't keep them to three runs or fewer in six innings or more, that tells you so much about what he has been and the effect it's had on the team. Number two, how many opportunities they had. Yeah, they scored seven runs. How many opportunities they had to score? A lot more than that. They still wound up 0 for 5 with the bases loaded in that game. We talked about this all year long, how that has been an issue for them for whatever reason. So that's number two. And then number three, lack of bullpen depth at the end. Okay, yes, they traded Brad Hand. Yes, Daniel Hudson was on the COVID IL. You know, yes, Finnegan, who saved the first game, had pitched four out of five days, so he wasn't available. But look at what they were left with and who Davey had to use. Suero, Rainey, fresh off the IL himself, and Sam Clay, yet again, he was the final pitcher in the game that they lost. That they led 8 nothing. San Diego. He's the final pitcher in the game they led 7 nothing and lost. Those were their options. You put all those three factors together, that's the 2021 season in a nutshell for you right there. That's why they're selling now. Well, if you're looking for happier news, our guy Tim Shovers, the creator of the Nat Chat podcast, was uh, interviewed by Washingtonian. You can check that out by going to Washingtonian.com. Tim giving some great perspective on the Nationals this season, what's gone wrong, you know, why is the season in the state that it's in. Really good piece, so check it out. Support our guy, Washingtonian.com. Tim Shovers talking Nationals on that site. We want to hear from you. A huge Thursday in the history of the Washington Nationals. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on the blockbuster trade with the Dodgers? And your thoughts on what else the Nationals have done. Brad Hand going to Toronto, Kyle Schwarber going to Boston. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, Podcast at gmail.com, including sending us a voice memo. You don't have to send us your thoughts in written form. You could send your thoughts in voice form, in audio form, by recording yourself into your smartphone and then emailing that file to us. Again, the email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. Those things do help out the cause a lot. We appreciate that very much. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. What a day in Nats Nation. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the pitch swung on. Gomes hits it a ton to center field. Herrera going back, way back, going, going, and long gone. Goodbye. Hit of the trees well beyond the center field fence. A long home run for Jan Gomes to dead center field. Bang! Zoom goes Gomes to give Max Scherzer and the Nationals the lead here at the top of the seventh inning. 429 feet for his ninth home run of the year. And the Nationals dug out ecstatic. It's the Nationals three and the Phillies one. Hey, Nashat listeners. Tim Shover's producer of this podcast here, piping in because there were two bits of breaking news that occurred after we taped, just as we finished recording what was a wild and historic day for the Washington Nationals, we have found out who the Red Sox are sending to the Nats in return for Kyle Schwarber in his right-handed pitching prospect, Aldo Ramirez. 
Ramirez is currently eighth in the Sox Prospects rankings. That's per SoxProspects.com. Keep in mind for all those Nats fans who are disappointed in the return for Schwarber based upon the 25 homers he already hit and the historic month of June that he had. Keep in mind that Schwarber uh, has an option at the end of this year, and we also still don't know when he's going to return from injury. So Boston might only be getting him for about a month or so, so the Nationals did not have a ton of leverage. And then Daniel Hudson was shipped out west to the Padres. He was sent to San Diego in return for two prospects. Mason Thompson, who's a pitcher. Thompson is ranked ninth per MLB pipeline in Padres prospects. And then shortstop Jordy Barley, who is currently in low A. So that caps what was, as I said, a wild and historic day for the Nationals. We'll be back with you all weekend. Podcast following every game of the Cubs series. The trade deadline wraps up at 4 o'clock. The game starts at 7.05. I'm sure the Nats will have another deal in hand before we get to that 4 p.m. deadline. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll be back soon here on the Nats Chat Podcast. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.